knowing what your work values are and revisiting those often and asking yourself like how much of my my goals and time here how much of that aligns with the things i believe matter most to me and how much of those feel like they're you know somehow working against those values and to do that at kind of self audit with some frequency because it's easy to lose track like i said i was i just sort of like woke up and i was like none of this feels good <laughs> you know why am i why am i doing this and i'm you know a year and a half into this place and i think i need to call it Welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Sandia Sadakar, and my guest today is Antonio Garcia. He's the Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer at TXI, a strategy and product firm focused on building digital solutions for their clients. Antonio's career has centered around design, specifically taking a human-centered approach to innovation. He's also the founder of Dadwell and Company, which as it exists today is a podcast, you can find it on all major platforms, with creative professionals who are also dads talking about how they navigate these roles. In this episode, we talk about Antonio's career journey and how he always came back to self-trust and intuition when deciding when to stay and grow in a job or when to go. We also talk about the benefits of consistent reflection, taking career breaks, and clarifying your values as we're building a successful and sustainable career. Thanks so much for joining us in this thoughtful conversation. All right, Antonio, welcome to Working Your Way. I'm really happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am looking forward to chatting more with you. Um, I think one of the things that I find really interesting about you is you've built this, what I would consider to be a very successful career, really tapping into your humanness. And I think that's uh, quite intrinsic with authenticity to to be human and to exercise empathy. Um, And so before we kind of jump into that, I really want to hear what were the early days of your career like and how much of yourself were you feeling like you were bringing to work at that point? Oh, let's see. Early days. Um, right out of school, I joined a small agency. This was in Atlanta uh, in the early 2000s. And um, there was an expectation on the, on, I think probably just like the young creative people at the time that you were expected to kind of do anything you were asked to do. Um, and so at a certain point, I found myself like pulling like all-nighters in the studio a lot. And, um, and you know, there was like a, an edit suite. I was doing a lot of motion design, uh, video editing and things like that. And uh, there was this edit suite where we would sit and work with clients. And I remember when we got like a new piece of furniture, there was like a kind of a futon sort of a thing. I was like, oh, this is really great. You know, is this for the clients? And they're like, no, it's the futon. You know, that way, in case you've got to like sleep here, uh, you know, you can. And I remember just thinking like, oh man, this doesn't seem right at all, you know? And, um, and so I think, in, in, you know, it, it was sort of the nature of the, of the work, you know, like it was, it wasn't unique to this place that, you know, you, you hustled hard and you had these crazy deadlines and you were just sort of do, do it, took to get it done. But, um, 
but something about that didn't feel good. I felt underappreciated. And, um, and so I, I, uh, I took a risk and, um, and left there. Um, even though it was, you know, your first at the time, like in my mind, a good paying job right out of school. And, um, maybe there would have been people who suffered through that longer or put up with it or said like, Oh, this is, this is what paying dues is about. And, and I just knew that there wasn't, um, like a long-term fit for me there, you know? And so, uh, I remember the conversation I had, uh, with the the principals of, of, of this studio and, um, I just let them know, like, it was time for, I think it's time for me to go kind of a conversation. Um, and they made a few attempts at like, oh, you know, is it, it would, more money or, you know, like what would, what would make you stay kind of a response. And, um, and I just was like, nothing, honestly, like, there's really nothing that you can do, you know, cause it's like, I don't want to be here and I, I don't like how, how I feel like I'm being treated. And, and so to your question, like, I think, I think even in those earliest first job kinds of experiences, I was, um, I don't know if it was confident, but just like clear eyed about what I wanted and what I thought was, um, good work and, um, good leadership. And, and in every instance since then, if I didn't kind of have both of those things, um, it was hard for me to stick around, you know, and, um, and I had to be true to myself that this wasn't a good situation for my growth or development or just experience. And, and so I think, uh, yeah, I think from the very beginning, it was a, a sense of that and wanting to, um, you know, kind of live, live my values at work maybe is another way to put it. Yeah. I mean, certainly that's a very different kind of interpretation of bringing your full self to work, right? Bringing your pajamas, your toothbrush, like that is not what we're going for here. So (laughs) I can appreciate that. And at the same time, I think to your point, a lot of people who are really young in their careers and have what is on paper, a really good job kind of override those into the intuition, the instincts. And I'm curious, what do you think allowed you or enabled you, or maybe it was a, I'm not willing to stick around and see what happens. Like, what was the thing that got you over the edge of like, I'm not staying here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, my, my parents, and I think my, my grandparents too, um, even more so like having, um, you know, come, come to come stateside from, from Puerto Rico, both, both grandparents and, you know, fairly young and taking, jobs, all kinds of jobs, you know, to make it work. And, and I think their, their, their work ethic and their ethos and kind of commitment to their employer was one that said like, be, be grateful you have a job, you know, whatever it is, take pride in yeah. that work and, um, and just endure, you know, and keep going. Um, and on one hand, that's like the survival mentality that an immigrant has to, 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 to just make it, you know, against whatever, um, you know, whatever odds are against them. And maybe that, maybe that sort of dissipated a little bit, you know, each generation feeling more comfortable or sure about, you know, their, their, their sort of right to be there or a a right to, to, to good work. Um, you know, so, uh, I think that's, that, that kind of 
um, shift over time and being able to see how my parents uh, were both really loyal to their employers. Like that was a thing that I understood even as a young person. You know, my dad worked um, for his company for, uh, gosh, like uh, 40 years or, or more, you know, and um, I, don't, I don't know anybody my age that has committed to one place that way, you know, and so um, I'm not sure because I was kind of surrounded by lifers, you know, like people who just, they committed to a place and they worked, you know, they worked their asses off um, for a long, a long period of time for one employer. And I never saw it that way. I never, I never felt the need to commit that way. And maybe that's like a point of privilege, like having kind of a few generations later, not felt like, you know, there's just this eternal gratitude for even having a job and, and, feeling like I could be more selective or um, maybe principled about the jobs that took on or how I thought about work or my relationship to work. Um, that's a great question. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't thought about it more deeply, but um, I think there's probably something there uh, um, to unpack, you know, in another show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I, one of the things I reflect on in my own kind of career story, right. Of like, having whatever it is, call it confidence or uh, reckless abandon or what a risk aversion to quit my job with nothing lined up was like, I, I credit a lot of it to my mom and that, mm. you know, we did have a much more stable upbringing. They, they immigrated. I didn't, I was born here. I had everything I needed for the most part, you know, and, and then right. this idea of her, she just always really instilled, like, you can do whatever you want. Like, the confidence in me. Right. And so I think for me, I, I credit her as like a cycle breaker of, you know, mm. there weren't a lot of expectations put on me. And so I kind of had that, I don't know, that internal, um, knowing a little bit and, and internal trust in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, a great way to put it. Um, I think that's, uh, that idea of being a cycle breaker or, um, sort of recognizing uh, that history and the sort of things that got you to where you are and then making a conscious decision to either keep going. Maybe there's, there's traditions and ways of, of working that you're like, no, I, you know, this is instilled in me. I'm going I'm to keep going. Um, or to say like, you know what, this, this might've served, you know, previous generations or my ancestors, but this moment, it doesn't serve me, whatever the, the sort of confluence of circumstances. And so I'm not going to continue. With this. this is it ends here, right? I'm not going to do this anymore, or behave this way, or think about it this way. Um, I think it takes a real awareness to get to that, um, and a consciousness, and a, you know, a self reflection to be able to um, make that choice one way or the other. You know, this is a, a way of working or or not for me. I really wanted to dig into this topic with Antonio because our careers are largely influenced by our families and our upbringing. And a lot of times when it comes to this, we hear about maybe some of the more negative ways that our family expectations might have influenced our career beliefs or uh, the ways that we thought we had to be. And this is pretty typical of a lot of immigrant stories of those expectations and, and how they then created our idea of what our path should be. But 
I think it's also really interesting to reflect on how our families had a really positive impact on how we show up today and how we think about our careers. And for me, I mentioned my mom here and her being somebody who truly believed and expressed to me that I could do anything that I wanted if I put my mind to it. And she was always so encouraging and and a very obvious thing of, you know, me kind of having the privilege of, of exploring and playing and have this, having this kind of carefree childhood But I also grew up seeing my dad working in a job that he really loved. He was passionate about it. My dad was a mechanical engineer. He worked on truck engines and making them more fuel efficient. Um, And he really, truly was passionate about what he did. And I think that had a really big impact on me. So I'm curious, as you're listening, are there things that you are considering as impact that your family had on your career or ways that they influenced the way you think about work or maybe things that you saw that caused you to make different choices than you would have otherwise. All right, let's get back to the conversation. So as you like progressed in your career, were there were there other moments where kind of trusting your gut and leaving a situation played out for you? Yeah, I, I, all the all the time, like like you just mentioned, leaving leaving, you know, maybe on on, on the surface or to other people, great paying jobs that, you know, why, why would you leave that that kind of feeling, um, and not having something lined up, you know, before you before you recognize it's time to go, I think is a real, um, that's a real bold move, and uh, I, I, I there's a lot of people who just suffer through awful job situations, um, maybe because they have to, maybe because whatever that, you know, they live in a town and this is it, this is the, you know, there's five places to work and that's all, or they've got, you know, more than themselves to think about. And so it's like, yeah, I don't have the luxury of just quitting because I need to quit. I got children or people who are dependent on me. Like I recognize there's all kinds of circumstances that keep people in a, in a, in a rotten situation. Um, but I think for, for me, it's the same. Like I've, I've, I've often left roles, um, or studios or, you know, companies, or whatever, and didn't have, the, didn't have a perfect thing lined up, but I knew it was time. And I had, uh, you know, played my cards right and had a little bit of cushion or something that made it okay for me to go. Um, and then I figured it out, you know, but it, it, I knew that I couldn't figure it out while working at this place that made me unhappy or, you know, was, um, was taking up all of my, my, my time and my mind. And so part of finding the new thing was quitting, you know, the place that you're at to just free up capacity to, to think differently about what was next or to have the time to meet with people and have those sort of conversations that always lead into something interesting. And so for me, I've left... Uh, I probably left more jobs without a job lined up than leaving a place, you know, to go to somewhere, you know? And um, I don't know if I'm proud of that or uh, that's just the, the, the way it is, but, you know, there was a time when I was working um, at, at a bank um, and this is no knock on, on the bank. Like I think it was a fine place to work. I, I went to multiple celebrations where people were uh, um, being recognized for like the the half century club, 
that they had worked at a place for 50 years, you know, like it's wild to me. Right. So this is, this is not a place that people, um, you know, cl- clearly didn't like working. Right. Um, right. But for right. me, it just felt um, incongruent with who I, who I, who I am, who I, who I was at the time. Um, and maybe it was like the most corporate thing I had done or, you know, the biggest enterprise I had been a part of. It's a bank. So it's, you know, it's, it's a financial institution that um, is known, you know, has a reputation for being very conservative and prudent. Um, so there was probably a lot of environmental factors, cultural factors to that workplace that felt um, really uncomfortable for me at times. And um, even though it was a really cool job and I was working with really cool people, we're doing some innovative things inside of, inside of this institution, there was enough there that made me feel um, out of place uh, that it just kind of was affecting how I showed up at work. And I found myself in ways um, code switching and just kind of behaving uh, to, to, to fit in or to assimilate. Um, And it was a, you know, this is now in the sort of, in, in some ways, like the, the, the second act of my career when you would hope, or you would think like you would be the most confident and comfortable in who you are. And I, and I, and I kind of caught myself. I'm like, why am I behaving like this? Why am I changing the way I'm talking in this meeting or wearing certain clothes that like it fits the part, you know, it's a bank. People wear shirt and ties, but like, I just feel, and it's not like I can't dress up. I can, I can, I can dress up just fine before. Yeah. (laughs) But it was just in this, and I think it was just like a combination of all these things. And I just thought like, man, I just don't feel like myself. I don't feel like I can, I can, um, I can be authentic here. And, and again, like nobody pulled me aside and was like, Hey, I think you need to change the way you're dressing or, you know, don't do that anymore in the meeting and instead behave this way. I think it was a, a super internalized stuff for me. Um, but long story short, I, I just kind of got to a point where I was like, it feels really bad to be, um, this self-conscious, this late in my career about, about, you know, how I, how I conduct myself in the workplace. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And there were some other things, you know, I didn't, um, feel great about, uh, but it was enough that it got me to a point where I was like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta go, you know? And I, I, I don't. I was, I was beginning to, to, to interview and, um, I made that known to, uh, some people in, in leadership within that group. And, and it was more like me being honest, like, Hey, I feel like I should tell you this openly. Like, I think my time here is winding down. I'm starting to entertain other ideas, beginning to interview. Let me know how, how best to transition this, you know? And the response was kind of like, Oh, you can just wrap up your stuff. If you want, like you can just, I don't, I can't see anything coming up that's really important for you to work on. So why don't we call it? And on one hand, I'm like, okay, cool. You, you know, you cut me loose, whatever. But on another, I was like, wow, that was really cold blooded. <laughs> like, I'm trying to come forward with like, you know, the situation and what I'm up to. And, and you're kind of showing me the door. And so I was like, oh, this is, this, this is one more reason why, like I, I need to just go, you know? Um, yeah. And so it, 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 I think it's, I think it's, um, 
it's really important to know yourself, you know, obviously like in life and relationships, but also like know yourself, your work self and what you can and can't live with. And everybody's threshold for, you know, drama or politics or, you know, just BS is different, you know? And like, I can't knock somebody else who would have been like, I love this place. And I, what you, you're so dumb to throw that away. Like I, I would, I would absolutely thrive here. Um, I can't say anything about that person, right? Because all, all right. those things that were not working for me worked great for someone else. Um, but I, I, I do, I do think that um, knowing what your work values are and revisiting those often, and asking yourself like, how much of my my goals and time here, how much of that aligns with the things I believe matter most to me. Um, and how much of those feel like they're, you know, somehow working against those values and to do that, that kind of self audit, um, with some frequency, cause it's easy to lose track. Like I said, I was, I just sort of like woke up and I was like, none of this feels good. <laughs> you know, why am I, why am I doing this? And I'm, you know, a year and a half into this place. And I, I think I need to call it. This is probably a lot more common than we think. This idea of kind of losing track of ourselves over time. The idea of not being yourself at work can happen slowly over time. It's not always these kind of bigger, more apparent or more dramatic moments. And this is why it's important, especially to find ways to consistently recalibrate. I think it's especially true for people who are really empathetic Um, like Antonio is, he uses his empathy and his work and designing around people's needs all the time. It lends itself to being somebody who recognizes signals in your environment and picks up on those signals and mirrors the people around you if you are that kind of a person. And so doing this, dressing a certain way, speaking a certain way, kind of moving away from ourself and becoming more like other people can sometimes happen unintentionally. And we might not see it happen right away. So it's this kind of slow drift that we talk about. This is a good reason to kind of do this recalibration over time. Check back in with yourself. Maybe doing a self-audit once a year or every six months um, or just finding ways like at the end of the month to kind of slow down and ask yourself a couple of questions. I'll share some tools in the wrap-up that might be able to help with this. But Antonio is going to go on to describe just how those gradual changes, this kind of slow drift felt in the moment. So let's rejoin the conversation. I'm curious about what was that like progression like for you over the course of you said a year and a half coming into an organization being like yeah this is going to be a great opportunity to kind of slowly you know I don't know I feel like it's like this one degree shift away from yourself that like amounts to something much bigger over time sure what did that feel like to you um it was almost imperceptible I think it was so it was so gradual that's what I mean it it was like Um, I, I was recruited away from a place to come work there. So, uh, you know, you start like that and you feel very, um, 
appreciated, you know, and like, wow, you know, they, they, someone sought me out. Right. And so you come into the space feeling pretty confident and, um, you know, glad to be there. or Like you're supposed to be there. Right. Like someone came looking for me. Um, and so I think that was my boost into it. And we were endeavoring to do something pretty neat inside the bank. You know, we were starting this internal innovation lab, which was, you know, something, um, they had never done before. And I was surrounded by, you know, a lot of really smart people that I was excited to learn from. And so like it began, um, in this really exciting way. And then I think there were just small bits, you know, there was never like a moment where it was like, Oh, that's, that's the day everything shifted. You know, um, that would have been obvious and it probably would have been, um, much more severe, dramatic. And I think it was just like tiny little things, which is maybe the thing to be on the lookout for most, right? Cause it's the small stuff that you're like, Oh, I can wave that away or I can ignore that, that bit or, I can suppress this thing. And then like, you know, like I said, uh, a year later, you're, you're kind of taking inventory of it all. And you're like, wait, how did I, how did I, like you said, it's like one degree of, of deviation from what your intentions are and your, you know, but over time that one degree really sets you off from where you, you, you thought you were headed. And, and so I, you know, I think it's, I can't put my finger on any one moment. I think, we could all do better at listening to that gut instinct or that little voice in your head or, you know, there's something there. Um, it's your body, whatever, trying to tell you something. I mean, I, I think we all could. <laughs> so <laughs> like, this is something I do daily with clients is like helping them slow down and tune into what's going on somatically, what their emotions are telling them, all those things. Right. And yet I, I also have my own challenges with it. So I think it's just something that we constantly like you said, kind of periodically self audit, you know, it's like you almost have to program it in. Otherwise it's just, it's not going to be something that feels natural to, to do, to slow down. Right. It's not yeah. um, something we're incented to do these days. Yeah. And I, I don't know when, when, when this episode is going to air, but you know, it's, it's winding down towards the end of the year. Um, and I think uh, that's a great time to self-reflect and to audit. And, and I think a lot of people, get excited about it because it sort of marks the beginning of, you know, all new things and a new year and let's set big audacious goals and, you know, all of our new year's resolutions that, you know, we abandoned in the first couple of months of the year. And, <laughs> right. But I think if you flipped it and you made it really about, uh, about a look back, um, to inform, you know, what you're going to do differently, um, it, you know, it tends to get quiet. People take holiday, you know, things wind down in almost every industry I would say that, you know, right now is probably a great time to, um, to just sort of run through, you know, those, the, the, the values that matter most to you and how that fits into, uh, you know, the, the bigger picture and, and, and work and just do, do those kinds of reflective exercises to get yourself right, you know, in, in the right headspace for, for what's to come and don't worry about setting goals necessarily, but like know yourself and have a few, you know, key words or themes that you're going to hold on to as you march, you know, bravely into the new year. Um, feels like maybe a better, at least an approach you can probably, um, uh, commit to reasonably. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a taking inventory versus like goal setting, you know, I mean, goals are important, but, um, the reflection is equally important. So 
Um, Something you said was interesting, and I'm curious what this looks like for you today. Like the idea that, you know, when you were at the bank, there was kind of this like, is this, is this bad discomfort? Is it good discomfort? Am I just growing? Am I, you know, how do you, how do you think about this today in your career? Because oftentimes growth can be uncomfortable, but there are things that stretch us and that build us as leaders. And then there are things that just feel wrong. Like how do you discern good discomfort maybe from bad discomfort? Yeah. Wow. Um, I wish I had a little framework or, you know, formula for you. I, uh, (laughs) Well, and it's you, I, right? Do you, yeah. Does it feel different to you? Like, you know, it certainly doesn't have to be how everyone should do it, but how you do it. I often uh, think about the um, the give and take of uh, like contributing and learning and um, and how in work you, you're called to do both, um, ideally, right? Like that, that, that's, that's a beautiful role if you're... Yeah. Um, if you feel like you've got enough experience to bring to it and, you know, mastery in some things that you're contributing in meaningful ways and that you're challenged, like you said, in, in, in a healthy way. Um, and that, that discomfort is actually you learning new things and trying to apply them. And when you've got that kind of, uh, seesaw of learning and contributing or that, that giving and taking, um, I mean, that can be that when I think back to, moments in my career where I felt most fulfilled, it was when I got like a really healthy balance of these two things. Um, and I think people myself, you know, can get by when just one is there, you know, a season of life, or, you know, maybe when you're junior, you're just learning. You're just, you know, I'm just here to consume and apply all these things I'm learning. And I have got a voracious appetite for, for data and new knowledge and all these things. And then you get, you know, enough reps and you start to feel confident. And you're like, you know what? I can finally contribute in a meaningful way. So then it shifts, you know, and you're in a contributor mode and then you tip into a promotion and all of a sudden you're back to learning. Right. And, and, and that, that kind of back and forth to me is, is ideal. And I think in instances where both sag down and you don't feel like you're contributing any, anymore, you sort of given it all you can and there's nothing more to learn or you feel like I, I, I kind of have, met my, my match or my limit. And, and I kind of get, got everything I could from this. You know, you've got, you've got two, two options. You can either change your role in the organization, look for an opportunity to just like take on all new things up oh, now back to learning again. Right. Um, or you, or you quit, you know, you, you know, whatever you move on to go find that, that, that learning and contributing again. Um, and I don't know if that's really given me a way to, um, determine like, Hey, is this discomfort? Cause it's wrong. Or is this discomfort? Cause I'm, I'm being challenged to do new things. Um, I, maybe it's just going back to that little voice. You know, I think that, I think that your intuition and that that'll chirp up if what you're doing is fundamentally, um, you know, in, in sharp contrast to who you are as a person and, your values. Like I, I do believe that if you if you quiet everything down, you'll hear that voice tell you like, get out of here. Like this is, this is wrong for you. Yeah. But I, th- I think what you said just about sometimes it can be quiet, right. But it, it does come with the slowdown or the, the pause, um, even if it's just momentary to kind of tap into that. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. Antonio's talking about this voice, this kind of 
nudge, this intuition that might come with a slowdown or a pause. And I want to stop here for a couple of minutes just to talk about tuning into different types of intelligence that you have. Every single one of us has different types of intelligence. And in the work that I do using the frameworks that I use, I really talk about three distinctly different types of intelligence that every single one of us has. We often think about intelligence as kind of the classic like cerebral intelligence, the processing of ideas and information and analysis. And that's one of the types. The other one is relational or social intelligence. So like how in tune are you with what's happening around you? Um, The empathy, the emotional intelligence, can you read the room? Can you sense what's going on? with your own feelings, with other people's feelings. And then the third one is the one that we probably talk about the least, and that's somatic intelligence. It's the intelligence that we're all naturally programmed with in our body. It's when we turn a corner and get scared and you know we have this kind of fight or flight response or the adrenaline rush of something. But That intelligence, that instinctual somatic body intelligence is also just super important in our day-to-day and in tuning in with. And so I want you to think about what of the three intelligences do you lean on the most? Which one is the one that you take the world in through? And, And really kind of sit with this and over the next couple of days, consider the things that are coming up for you. Am I taking in the world through ideas and information? Am I taking in the world through emotions and connection? Or am I taking in the world through kind of instincts and gut feelings? And which one do you naturally lean on the most? The next part of this is the harder part. It's tuning into the one that you lean on the least. And this is where we can kind of slow down and listen more, the type of intelligence that we lean on the most is going to be the loudest. It's going to be the clearest. It's going to be the one that we hear a lot. And I would say for me, the one that I've heard the least in my life is the somatic intelligence. It's what is my body telling me? What, what, What is my energy level telling me? It's not something that I paid a lot of attention to throughout my corporate career. And it's one that I'm really trying to hone and slow down and listen to more. And so think about this for yourself. If you're a gut, visceral, instinctual reaction person, can you lean into your social intelligence or can you lean into that um, intellectual processing part as you're making decisions? Maybe instead of going with your gut, you make a list and lean into that processing part. Or if you're someone who really acts on emotions and connection and that's the thing that rules you, can you tune into your body or tune into your mind? So think about which one you lean on the most and which one you lean on the least. And how can you maybe tap into slow down or do something actively to tune into the other one. So how do you think about your values in your career? Do you have a set of values that you kind of calibrate against? Do they change often? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, 
I do think that they change. Um, and I don't think that's being, you know, flaky or wishy-washy. Like your, your values, I think, do, do evolve and shift depending on what's most important in life at that time. Um, I, I don't know that there's any one thing that I've held to, you know, my whole life or my whole career is like, this is my values. Um, uh, maybe that's one of my values is being persuadable and being able to let go of some things. Um, <laughs> being adaptable. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but I, I do, I do feel like, um, I have a clear, uh, sense of what I want out of work in a way that, um, you know, a younger version of me didn't necessarily. Like I was just kind of like in the thick of work and the sort of thrill of, uh, of, you know, solving interesting challenges and working with really great people. And, um, all of that was, uh, um, enough, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think at this point in my career, maybe my age, you know, where I am in life, um, like what I need and want out of work or my relationships with people at work or the, the work itself or from clients or just all of that feels more sharp and in focus than ever. Um, and I think that perspective has come from experience and conversations like the one we're having, you know, um, and, and just knowing, knowing myself more and being, um, more confident in who I am and what I'm about and the value that I can create for and with other people. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful for it. Uh, cause it's easy to be adrift and, um, not have anything that kind of anchors you to what is important, right. And to be swept up in again, like just the work or the politics or the drama or the whatever it is and even good things, you know, um, but I, I feel more than ever like I know what I'm meant to do in, in, in my work and what's important for my working relationships and my career, um, what it means to lead other people, the responsibility that that is. So, yeah. So what's important to you in that right now? Um. It's been a weird year. I'm not going to lie, you know, uh, just work-wise, like um, things feel slow and I don't think it's unique to um, the consultancy uh, that I'm, that I'm part of. I think in general, like when I talk to peers in, in design and in technology, it's just been a really hard year. There's a lot of really talented people who have been out of work for a really long time uh, this year. Uh, some of them, you know, the vast majority of this year, so there's something, um, there's some shift happening and I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that 2024 f- is different for all of us, you know, at, at least in my field. Um, mm-hmm. but for me, the, the, you know, the value right now or any time where things are, um, this, uh, unstable or unsteady, you know, where, you're not, you can't really predict, uh, what next quarter is going to look like or where that new client's going to come from, or, you know, it's just, it, all of it feels very, um, unknown. Um, I think the values that matter most around times like that are, are, 
um, you know, making, making sure that the people around you that are doing great work are appreciated and recognized and, um, and that they're given what they need to get through it. Cause like everything else is so hard that if you can ease anything for folks, um, take something off their plate, help them focus, um, that becomes sort of the thing that gets you through it. Uh, but you know, left and right, you hear about big layoffs and people being furloughed and just, you know, austerity measures and all of this stuff, um, to just get by. And I think that that, that kind of survival mode, um, it only works up to a point. And then you're, um, then you're just running on fumes, you know, like, I think there's a, there's a difference between, um, you know, resiliency and endurance. Right. And, um, at a certain point, uh, I think you've got to, you got to pull yourself out of that mode, um, and find ways to re-energize and refuel. And so I guess it's a long way to say that like, when times are lean and not great, uh, I think the values that matter most are caring for other people and caring deeply about the clients you do have and the work that you are doing and to, you know, be proud of the work. Um, and to, uh, to recognize that there's going to be some, some pain and, um, potentially loss, you know, when people talk about furloughs and things like that. Um, and that's, that's the best that any of us can do. And so being kind to yourself, I think is also pretty important right now. Yeah. Caring for self and caring for others and caring for clients, right? So I want to pause here for a second to talk about values. It's quite a buzzword out there as well in terms of thinking about your leadership style and knowing your values, doing work that aligns with your values. And we hear about values a lot. I remember a friend of mine telling a story about the CEO of his company And he said he would carry around this list of 10 values in his pocket with him everywhere he went. And I honestly just kind of had to laugh because if you have 10 core values, how do you ever make a decision? You can't make life choices based on 10 different things. There's just too much to navigate there. And frankly, if you have 10 values, you probably do have to have them on a list and keep them in your pocket because how would you remember them all? I think my point here really is that values are about decisions and discernment. Values are the ways that we filter our choices in life. And if we have a bunch of words on a piece of paper, it's pretty impossible to live in accordance with those. And so when I talk about values with my clients, I think it's really about honing it down to one to three words that are truly meaningful for you in your life and that you use as filters to make important decisions, to check in with yourself when things maybe seem a little off or when you're not sure what to do in a situation. And I'll link a resource in the show notes um, and talk about it in the wrap up. But there's a, a good podcast episode from Brene Brown's podcast that really talks about how to think about not just the words, but defining what they mean to you. And then what are the questions you're going to ask yourself when you're up against this value? 
um, or making a decision that's not aligned with it. And so I would encourage you, of course, to know your values and think about them and define them for yourself and check in with them. I think this is a really important part of being authentic because to be authentic, you need to know who you are so that you know when you're veering away from that. And values are a core part of that. But it's not about a bunch of words that look good on a piece of paper or on a website. It's about how are you filtering the choices that you make every single day. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. You come across, I think, this way publicly. It's also something you've talked about, but like really talking about empathy and its role. I mean, you just talked quite a lot about it, right? About how empathy can play out in the workplace with with team members. Um, I'm curious how empathy has played a role in, or how does it play a role in you being a creative and you being a leader? And are they different? Yeah, I never heard of the word empathy um, in in a, in, a, in a like in a work setting in a business setting until I joined Gravity Tank um, in about 2010. It uh, is that right? Something like that. Um, because it uh, it was the first place that I'd ever worked that had a discovery process and had research as the as the the primary input for all design and technology and strategic decisions, right? Um, and it was applied empathy. It was taking methodology from, uh, you know, ethnographic research really and applying it to products and services and understanding people's needs and trying to shape uh, behavioral archetypes around um, what you learned about people. And, uh, and I didn't realize it up until that moment, but that was largely missing from all the creative things that I had done before a lot. So much of the creative things I was a part of up until that moment were sort of like, you know, designing because you thought this thing looked cool. It was very aesthetics driven. Um, it followed certain trends and patterns. And um, rarely did we spend time with other people to make sure that the thing we were making was actually in service of them right. And, and valuable to them. And so when I joined and I heard people use the word empathy to talk about end users or just people generally, I was like, huh, this is, this is so vital. Like how was I designing for all this time without that as an input? I'll never, ever do that again. Like I'll only ever spend time with people um, in proximity, right. Trying to, trying to experience the world through their eyes. That's the only way I'll ever do anything creative from this point forward. Um, and so that word has taken on all kinds of meanings and, you know, it's a little um, buzzwordy and you, you sort right. of, right. It, it gets, it gets tossed around on, you know, LinkedIn and other business platforms. And um, maybe it loses a little bit of its meaning, but I think in the end it's, you know, it's taking another person's perspective um, on as your own, right. And trying to, you know, whatever cliche you want to use, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes or, you know, just experience the world through somebody else's eyes. And it's never, it's never enough, right? Like you'll never truly know someone's lived experience, but damn it, if we shouldn't try, right? Like to get as close as we can to it. And so for me, that's the first time that I heard it and I started to see it applied in, in work. And I thought this is, this is a vital ingredient. 
Um, and then I started to think about it in terms of um, leadership. And I think the first leadership book I read was uh, Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last, which is very much about um, servant leadership or this idea of leading from, from behind. And, you know, um, that just resonated with me because I, I, I had always associated leadership with, you know, command and control or top down or these sort of um, characteristics that aren't really my, my personality. Um, and then I was like, Oh, now this is a leadership approach. I can, I can live with this one. Like this felt, it just resonated. It felt so true. Um, yeah. and so it came naturally. I didn't, I, I wasn't like, okay, now I have to like activate empathy as I lead people. It was just like, Oh, you mean I can draw on this like soft skill and apply it to, 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 to equipping people with what they need to make bold moves autonomously, you know, like that's, that's amazing. Like, hell yeah, that's what I want. That's how I want to lead. Um, and so I, I think that's been the, the starting point for, um, for all the leadership roles that I've had to date have, have had a, a that as an origin point. Yeah. Yeah. I I think sometimes those types of like a book, right, or, or or seeing things, whether it's representation in your workplace or elsewhere, right? I think um, gives us permission to to be a certain way or to see ourselves a certain way. And so I'm curious, did you like reading that book or hearing about servant leadership or understanding how empathy can play a role in leadership? Did that change your view of like, uh, can I be a leader, or was it just how would I want to lead? I'd like to make more leaders. Um, and I'd like to um, make a distinction between empowering people and equipping them. Uh, uh, someone who is very active in, who is very active in, um, in social movements and in um, that kind of work uh, framed it that way. You know, said you know the, the whole idea of empowerment is kind of patronizing and very much like I hold the power and I'm going to, you know, bless you with power. I'm going to empower you because without me, you're powerless. Is kind of the subtext there. There's a dynamic to that. Yeah. Um, and I never thought about it that, that way. I thought like, oh, for me, it was always about like, hey, just so we're clear, like you've got the permission and the space to do this, like feel free, right. To, to, um, to use your power. Right. But I, I understood in that moment, like, Oh yeah, that, you know, framed that way. I was like, Oh, there's, what's an alternative to that. And, you know, this person said, well, you know, we often talk about it, uh, as, um, as equipping people because it, it assumes you already have inherent power in you. I don't need to give you power. You've got it. Um, and what you need are resources you need paths cleared so you can go do that thing that you were born to do. Right. Or you need name any of the resources, right. You need time, you need money, you need air cover, um, uh, et cetera. And so I, I kind of adopted that cause I, I, I quite liked it. Um, and so I think it's about equipping people, um, making sure they have what they need and getting them out of their way so they can do it. That assumes you've hired really great people who, 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 who can do that sort of work. Um, and I think it's, uh, this is something I'm, I'm continuously working on is, um, being really candid and, and, and forward 
I think I have like an underlying desire um, to want to be liked. And I think that that impacts my ability to give you critical feedback because somewhere in there, I might say something that makes you feel a certain way about me. And now, now our relationship is somehow different. And, um, you know, I got to get over that. <laughs> uh, but that's another thing that I, I think is really important um, that I try to embody is, you know, calling shit when I see it and, um, and being, being honest there. I, I want to ask you about, um, about dad. Well, because I think, you know, it's a, a creative project that you took on. Yeah. So why, why did you start it? Um, a whole lot of things were happening in my life at the time. I, uh, I had recently turned 40 years old. So there's sort of this milestone, um, in my life. Um, my second child, my daughter was born, um, and she had, uh, some medical complications. She was born with only one kidney and the kidney that she was born with was, uh, not, not, not great. <laughs> so she needed, mm-hmm. uh, robotic, uh, reconstructive surgery on her, on her kidney. It like just, a uh, you know, a, 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 like months into her life, weeks into her life. Um, yeah. and, um, and I had been in the industry, the design industry, the technology industry for um, a good long while. And I was not all that proud of the work that I was doing. And, and it just didn't feel, I didn't have that spark and that energy um, for, for my industry. Um, and I was working at a place that, uh, to be honest, I wasn't all that inspired by the leadership. And so I think it was just like all these things coming together. And I, and I was like, something's got to give. Um, and I think it's my job. Like, I think I need to quit my job and just have a hard reset and, and use that experience to like, just get my life together and figure out what, what is important. Um, and I felt like I wanted to be, uh, a better dad and a better creative person. And at times those felt really at odds with each other. And so I, I, I quit. I didn't have anything lined up. I decided to call it a a sabbatical. I took um, a year off from work, didn't make any money for, for a year, which is, you know, a lot of privilege all on its, in its own. My wife was super supportive and she's like, I got you. You know, there's been multiple times in our career where we've let the other person, uh, quit and kind of picked up the slack. And so she's like, I'm, I'm returning the favor. Cause I had done something like that for her. And so I took the year off and I was like, I'm going to set about, um, interviewing men in my life who, I've seen parent and who I think are, are really, um, present engaged fathers and who have thriving independent creative practices. And I'm just going to like take these guys to lunch and, you know, ask all my questions. And, and I thought, well, I should probably, um, record those, you know, cause it's going to be awkward if I'm just sitting there taking notes while we have coffee. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, well, I should probably put those recordings someplace. Like I should probably share those. I can't be, the only idiot trying to figure this out. And, um, and my wife was like, I think that's, I think it's a concept for a great podcast. And I hadn't, I hadn't totally thought of it that way, but when she said it, it was you know obvious. And so, um, I, uh, I, I, I launched a dad one company and I started recording a podcast about creativity and fatherhood. And I made three seasons worth of shows, long form interviews, um, talking to talking to these men that I was inspired by mostly as like a really selfish research project. Like I'm just trying to be better at both things. 
Um, but it turned out to be uh, probably the the work I'm most proud of um, in, 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 you know, of all of my career. And, and, um, and uh, you know, I think that that prepared me for what came next, which was eventually, you know, returning to teaching graduate students and, you know, back to industry. And um, I was winding down the show right as COVID was beginning to make headlines. And I think in some instances it prepared me for that. Like I had taken that whole year off and worked in my studio and understood what remote work was kind of about. And Mm. I had, you know, become more grounded and connected with who I was, which I think we all did a lot of soul searching during COVID. And, you know, and so I think the show, no one could have planned it, but it really was, um, it really was preparation for what ended up being, you know, most bonkers couple of years of all of our lives. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap us up here, but I'm curious, what is, what is your authenticity journey look like from here? What's next for you in, in being more you? Oh man. Um, let's see. Um, my son is about to turn nine years old and uh, my daughter is five and a half, but for my son turning nine, you know, like let's assume he heads off to whatever he does next, right? College or starts a business or whatever. I I have very little expectations around it. Um, But like, let's say that happens around 18. He's halfway done. And like that, that, that popped into my mind the other day that I was like, wow, you know, like he's, he's about to wrap up nine years of his life with us. And then he's got another nine and then he's probably out of the house. And I don't think we'll ever see him quite the same way. I hope not. Like, I hope he goes and does amazing things, um, on his own. And, and, and so I told that to him, I said, buddy, you know, you're turning nine, you're halfway done. And he's like, really, what do you mean? I'm like, you're going to be, you know, nine, nine more years, you're going to be 18. You're going to be, you know, legal adult. You'll be on your own. You'll be, who knows? And we were both just kind of, we just sort of let that fact wash over us. Like, whoa, you know, like that happened fast. <laughs> and so to, to answer your question, I think um, my authentic journey or, or what authenticity looks like from this point forward, I think is going to be for me um, a shift in those things, you know, like family and, and career um, I don't think those things have to be at odds. Like that's what Dadwell taught me is like those things can actually coexist and sharpen each other in, in, in beautiful ways if you're intentional about it. But I do think that um, uh, for me to be more authentic as a leader and more authentic at work and more present at work, I have to make sure that I'm, um, you know, carving out the time to be authentic at home and um, and connected with with my wife and, um, you know, um, exposing my children to new ideas and things. Like I, I think about that, like, Oh, I've got nine more years really to like build them up to be an adult person in the world, you know, and, 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 and actually probably less because increasingly he has influence from people who are not me in his life. Right. So like I'm going up against the world that is going to rain down upon him. Right. And he will see amazing things that I couldn't possibly show him. And he'll see horrible things that I wish he never saw. And that's not a lot of time. Like that, not, that first nine years went by so quick. 
that the next nine, I think are going to be even more accelerated. And so I think for me to be authentic in both places, um, at home and at work in life in total, I think it's going to be, um, uh, that, 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 that pacing, uh, you know, moving at a sustainable pace and treating myself with kindness and pooling the people who matter most, whether that's colleagues or friends or family in, um, rather than pushing them out, uh, I think is how I will, uh, like what that, that next bit of my, of my authentic journey, as you put it, that's what that'll look like. I love that. That's beautiful. Thanks. More connection, more presence. (laughs) Yeah. It ain't easy, Um, but man, it's the opposite is awful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and to your point, it's, it's easy to get far away from that without even knowing it. And so, um, it's the intention and, um, dedicating the time to it, like you said. So, yeah. Just like we said at the beginning that like you wake up one day and you're like, Oh my God, where'd my life go? What have I been doing? (laughs) Right. Like it's a weird feeling. I'm I'm trying not to have that feeling again. Uh, it's my, it's my plan. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I have loved this conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. I've seen you, uh, be visible, you know, externally just as a leader. And so it's great to hear kind of like what's going on behind the scenes with, with yeah. you and your life and your career. So, yeah. Thank you so much for, um, for the chance to reflect into, you know, the, the great questions and, and, and thanks for, um, uh, opening me up. Uh, I appreciate it. It's, 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 uh, is rare that you have these kinds of conversations, you know? So I appreciate what it is you're, you're, you're building with the, with the show and in your intentions behind it. I just think it's, we need more, more conversations, more dialogues like this. I think everybody does. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. It's my favorite thing to do is have these kinds of conversations. <laughs> so I guess I'm in the right place. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again. Yeah. My pleasure. Cheers. So it seems like the theme of this episode that emerged is really about tuning into yourself. We talked about knowing your values and making decisions that align with them. And I'm going to link the podcast episode that I mentioned. That is the Brene Brown episode about aligning with your values, Um, coming up with what are those words? What are those definitions of the words? What do the words mean to you? And then how will you make the tough decisions or use them as a filter throughout your life. For me, I laid out my values a couple of years ago, and one of them is connection. And what that really means to me is um, connection to myself and connection to other people, nurturing the relationships that I find really valuable to me is just one part of that. But one of the examples of where this comes up for me is When I have something to share with somebody that I don't want to tell them, something that they did maybe that upset me or that bothered me or that I didn't like or that I need to communicate because it's bothering me, I have to make that tough choice with myself to say, am I going to stay comfortable in this situation and brush the thing under the rug or am I going to have that tough discussion with them that feels awful to have? 
but it's in service of connection. It's in service of upholding and aligning with my value of having these deep, meaningful relationships and nurturing them. Saying the hard things actually builds connection in the end. And so that's one place where I think about a value as a filter. I have a choice to make. I'm at a a fork in the road. Do I not say anything or do I say something? And if I'm aligning with my values, I say the thing so that we can repair the relationship or get past that obstacle. We also talked about listening to yourself and this kind of slowing down and pausing and reflecting. And I am a huge advocate of career breaks. If that is something financially and physically accessible to you, absolutely do it. Um, But if you can't do that, find those moments where you can slow down and pause and reflect and check in with yourself. This episode will be airing right at the beginning of the year. So now is a great time to kind of do a little inventory of last year. How did you feel um, tapping into those three different types of intelligence, the you know cerebral intelligence, the emotional intelligence, and the somatic intelligence, and do a little inventory for yourself. Another way to do this is kind of setting intentions and reflecting back on those. I've got a couple of tools that I'll share that I think are really good comprehensive tools for doing maybe like a self-audit or a life audit. But one kind of more simple thing that I did last year was to set a word for the year. That was my intention. And at the end of 2022 for 2023, I said my word is visibility. I wanted to do more speaking. I wanted to be more visible in the world through my thoughts and ideas, but I also wanted to be more visible in my community and joining organizations and meeting new people and making new connections. And so I chose my word as visibility. And now reflecting back on it, I said yes to a lot of opportunities to speak for amazing companies or universities or at events and share my ideas with people. I said yes to joining some organizations or some communities or participating more in them here in Chicago where I live. And so all of those things were in support of that word and that intention of the year. This year, I'm craving more stability. I'm craving more of a routine Um, in service of that visibility, I kind of dropped a lot of stuff and like went after those opportunities last year. And this year I want a little more consistency. So that's exactly what I'm going to make my word of 2024. It's going to be consistency. And that's not just in um, the outcome of my year, it's in my actions. So how am I going to build more consistency into my life, into my schedule, into my routine, and how I take care of myself in the types of activities that I'm doing in my work? Can I refine what I'm doing in my business so that I can build that consistency of things over and over again? So the two resources that I'm going to share are if you want to do a bit more of a comprehensive deep dive on checking in with yourself, there's one called the Year Compass that I really love. And I've done that before at the end of the year um, or at the beginning of the year where it really takes you through a reflection of the past year and then setting some intentions for the year ahead. There's also this really interesting HBR article that just came out and it was actually done by three consultants from BCG, from Boston Consulting Group. And it's called 
use strategic thinking to create the life you want. I printed it out. And there's this whole year or life planning worksheet in there. Um, I haven't gone through the exercise yet, but I have glanced at it. And it is super comprehensive, but it's basically thinking about your life as a portfolio like a business would um, and really thinking about the different parts of that portfolio, whether it's well-being and relationships or finances and like doing a little bit of an audit on each one of those and then making a plan. So I would offer that up as a resource too, and I'll link both the Year Compass and the HBR article if you want to take more of a business approach or more of a maybe spiritual approach to uh, really thinking about, you know, how do you want to be very intentional about how you're setting up your life? So that's a lot of big life discussion and reflection. I hope this episode was really valuable to you and you took some inspiration from Antonio and the amount of self-trust that he has and that he had even early on and that he's honed and refined along the way and have some ideas on how you might be able to do that for yourself. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.